For this week's Ask Me Anything episode, by popular demand, I'm releasing the audio from my recent Instagram Live where I talked about Burning Man. So over the course of this next hour or so, you can listen to me answer questions about the festival, which was in the news when I recorded the episode a couple weeks ago. Also, turns out while I was recording the episode, I discovered that I was recording it three years to the day when I got baptized. So that was a pretty special moment that happens there at the end. Also, during the episode, you'll hear me get into a discussion with someone who is leaving comments while I was talking. And the basic point to take away from that is, while I think Christians probably can go to Burning Man solo, it's not something that I would advise. And if you're going to Burning Man thinking that you're going to be a witness to people and that that's going to have any effect on the environment, you're sadly mistaken. My Christian friends who went to Burning Man spent 12 months preparing to go every year because they knew that they were undertaking serious mission work. They were coming under spiritual attack, and the spiritual pressure was so high around them, they couldn't afford to have any leaks in the camp. That's how seriously they took their ministry work at Burning Man. So again, while any individual Christian can go, if you think you're going to go solo and minister to the environment, I strongly advise against that. You're not going to have a good time. If you have any questions about Burning Man or about this episode, please go ahead and email me at info at Also, you can find linked in the show notes my three-part cultish episode, How I Met Jesus at Burning Man, for a bit more context, as well as my two-year podcast anniversary episode with the folks from Spirit Dream, who I met at Burning Man, and who ultimately baptized me. So thanks so much. Please enjoy this episode, and I'll get back to regular Ask Me Anythings next week. Hey, everybody. So with Burning Man in the news, I found myself in a conversation with some friends last night, and uh, they had some questions about the festival. And so I thought I'd jump on an Instagram Live and, uh, and do some Q&A about Burning Man for those who uh, have never heard about it. So this live is going to be your opportunity to ask me questions about the Burning Man Festival, which I know that you've probably seen in the news lately. And uh, for lots of reasons, and uh, and maybe uh, maybe I can dispel some of the myths about it, or I can create some more myths about it. Um, so anyway, this is your opportunity to ask me questions about Burning Man. I see a bunch of people filing in the live. I don't really have anything prepared, but if you'd like to know about the festival or um, or what's actually happening there or what happened has happened there in the past, um, just shoot me some questions, and we'll just uh, go ahead and do that. Welcome, everybody, by the way. So before the questions start coming in, um, for those who don't know, Burning Man is an 80,000... Okay, what's the con- what is the controversy with Burning Man from, from Robertson R. 1776? So the current... Uh, I think you mean the current controversy with, with Burning Man. So to set the stage, it's a festival. It's a quote-unquote music and arts festival. Uh, that's what it calls itself in the Nevada desert. Uh, that happens every year, the week leading up to and including Labor Day. So it's a pagan festival. Uh, it's explicitly pagan uh, and in every possible meaning of that. So every, you have everything from Eastern mysticism, which a phrase which I use a lot, which means Buddhism and Hinduism, something called Advaita Vedanta. Basically, all things are one. You have explicitly like Norse pagan beliefs. You have, uh, I don't know, aliens on mushrooms, psychedelics, all that kind of stuff. So it's a celebration of pagan values in the Nevada desert that attracts 70, 70 to 80,000 people every year. It's a massive festival. And so you can look up videos of it. Maybe you don't want to do that. You might see some adult content, uh, photographs of it. Um, so what's the controversy? So the reason 
why we're hearing about Burning Man this year is uh, the festival has really precisely controlled uh, ingress and, and egress, so ins and outs, because you have 80,000 people basically all showing up to the desert, staged over you know three or four days from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But then you have the vast majority of those people leaving on Sunday. Usually it runs from Monday to Monday. So the Sunday of that week is, is when everyone leaves. What happened at Burning Man this year is something that I don't know how long it's been since it's happened, but it's been a long time, is there was massive torrential rains, uh, torrential downpours. Now, Burning Man takes place on a dry lake bed, uh, which doesn't get rain. It's a dry lake bed. It's crust, broken, classic you know, desert earth. So when the rains come down, it's not solid ground. The whole festival turned to mud, right? And so you have people, you have 80,000 people, hold on, let me see if I can adjust this, you have 80,000 people driving in and parking in the in, in vehicles of all sizes. So two-door sedans all the way up to RVs and tour buses, but the entire festival grounds turned to mud. So 80,000 people who packed enough food and water uh, for, for a weeks-long festival suddenly got stuck out there in the desert, unable to leave. Because if they all started to try and start driving, their vehicles would all get stuck and it would turn into chaos. So Burning Man locked the festival down, essentially taking all these hippie people, new age pagan people, locking them into the festival and be like, sorry, you can't go anywhere. And people started running out of food and water. And, you know, when people have been partying for a week and they want to get home, uh, they can get a little snippy. And you can kind of begin to see the ways that some of these new age values begin to fray. And so the controversy for what happened in Burning Man was really a whole lot of people doing a lot of schadenfreude, looking at all these new age hippie people, very anti-God people particularly, and laughing at them suffering in the desert. And because the, because the festival had done some sort of mock sacrifice and is full of, of such explicitly anti-Christian values, when uh, the flood rains happened, everyone got rained out. They got essentially some of them not starved, but you know they were deprived of food because they didn't have a whole lot of food. And this giant rainbow shows up over the festival. People took that as like a ha-ha, God gets the last laugh. So this festival of 80,000 people that believe they're creating this new civilization with, uh, with, all their, with all their pagan values discovered very suddenly that they still live in God's world. And so the controversy, such as it was, was really about uh, a lot of people laughing at the misfortune of the Burning Man people, which in some sense, because there's a really entitled attitude that a lot of people who go to this festival have, it's easy to, to, to laugh at them. It's a little bit like, oh, you think you're better than everybody else and you'd still live in the same mud as the rest of us. And there's also a component of people who mock God and God will not be mocked. And so God mocking him back um, but there are also a lot of people there that will just go that will just go there to check it out, and who got caught in that as well. So some of the Schadenfreude is needed and necessary, and it's hard for me not to participate in it. But I, I do want to encourage people to remember that there are people who just go there who never who don't really know that much about it, who don't participate in it. Yes, <laughs> among them yuppies, there is there is a lot of that. Um, uh, but there are there are uh, sincere people, there are Christians there as well doing evangelism, and there are people there who I stress who are sincere and sincerely wrong. And so that was me. Like I was a very sincere seeker. I was very sincerely wrong, but I was very sincere. So maybe if in the discussion of what was going on there, you can keep some of the, some of the people in your prayers, less your enemies, um, that might go a little bit easier. So that's the controversy of what happened at Burning Man and why it's been in the news 
why it's been in the news so much. So if anyone has any other questions, uh, <laughs> just kidding, right. If anyone has any other questions about Burning Man, I can just kind of keep talking about it. Um, so the thing, the thing to understand uh, about, about the festival is that they're not even really aware, at least my, my, under, my experience of the festival when I went, is that this is a world that isn't really aware of Christianity, except for in a reactionary sense, except in the sense that maybe they had a parent who was, you know, a nominal Christian, or maybe the, the classic story of having an abusive father or abusive pastor from an apostate church without any real, let's say, Reformation values is very common. But the, but the whole pattern is really not to understand the true message of Christianity at all. So isn't the whole thing a ritualistic sacrifice? It is not, it's not a ritualistic sacrifice. Um, well, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know, whether you want to call it a ritualistic sacrifice. It's a wicker man. It's, a, it's a burning of an effigy. So if you think, if you consider burning an effigy, burning a wicker man as a sacrifice, then yes. Um, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, about the boils and stuff. I, I heard that that stuff didn't actually happen, but I, I don't know. I wasn't there. So, so I can't say, but so to return to the question of, um, and I'll answer the question, Emily, of what's attractive about Burning Man in a, in a moment. Um, degeneracy is, is, is one of them, is one of the things for sure. But so if you regard the, the burning of a wicker man as a ritualistic sacrifice, then yes, it is. I never took it as a ritualistic sacrifice, but when you have 80,000 people there, it's, it's pretty, um, and, and the last, and to be clear about one thing, the last year I was there was 2015. In 2017, uh, and if you're in front of your laptops, you have another computer, you can look this up. There was an event called Radical Ritual. Every year, every Burning Man year has a theme. Um, and I can't remember any of them right now, but I do remember that 2017 was Radical Ritual. So two years after, after I went. Radical Ritual was very strange because the ticket had an all-seeing eye, and you can look up the Radical Ritual ticket of 2017. It had an all-seeing eye at the top of the ticket. It had a checkerboard floor in the background behind a flame and all these Norse pagan uh, symbols, uh, runes along the sides. And so it's a real, it was a really strange, if you're familiar with the cult Illuminati symbols, there was a lot of that on that ticket. Now, one of the things that happened at Burning Man in 2017 was a man on burn night when they were burning the man, burning the wicker man, uh, a human being, a human man ran into the fire. So when they burn the man on Saturday night, it's a giant explosion. Like they don't just light it on fire. It's a giant explosion. So they like to think they explode the thing and then the thing burns. And then when that happened, a man ran, a human man ran into the fire and died. And so my take on that is that was a real ritualistic sacrifice, radical ritual, you know, all this Illuminati occult symbolism behind it was very strange. I think that was a, um, I think that was a turning point for the festival. I think that was when the festival was beginning to go truly mainstream and uh, really made a choice for whether it was what like conclusive choice serving the forces of darkness. So that was 2017. So it's been six years since then. And I, I think the festival has changed quite a bit. I guess I would say has become more of what it always was. So, so when I was there in 2015, I did not get the sense 
I did not get the sense that what was taking place was a ritual sacrifice. Um, but you can look at it that way because the man is kind of intended to be, um, I guess the rules of society, you know, like all the rules that we all live by are embodied in the man, like quote unquote, the man, you know, the man, like stick it to the man. We're going to blow the, those all up and we're going to build our own society. So if you regard that as, um, if you regard that as a ritualistic human sacrifice, then yes. But, uh, I personally, the three times I went, uh, did not regard that as a ritualistic sacrifice. Now that doesn't mean that no one else does. Now I could have been, I, I could have been, you know, the, the dumb guy in the room, um, and missed it. Wouldn't be the first time. So, uh, so, but I didn't regard it as that. So someone else asked, what is the appeal? Um, uh, what is the appeal of, of Burning Man? So the appeal of Burning Man is absolute unconstrained radical self-expression. This is their words, radical self-expression. The idea, and I talked about this, um, I talked about this on, excuse me, my cultish episode. Um, radical self-expression means that we all live under the constraints, the oppressive constraints of Western Christian patriarchal society, right? This is, this is a, this is their theological view. And so everyone in civilization lives under Western Christian radical capitalistic, capitalistic patriarchy, right? And they merged capitalism in there to give it the economic angle. But we all live under this really tightly controlled sets of rules. And when you go out to Burning Man, you are able to take off all those rules. You can take them all off and you can do, be, say, become whatever you want. Whatever you want. No holds barred because you're throwing off the constraints of oppressive society, which are shaping you in a particular way. And if you were to take off the constraints of society and you allow yourself to become just what you are, your authentic self, that is spiritual and that is good. And you can do that at Burning Man. You can throw off all the rules and be who you really are. So that's radical self-expression. So that's the core appeal of Burning Man. Now, what does that look like in people's lives? Well, it looks like all different things, right? So for people that want to make art that doesn't necessarily fit into galleries, even, you know, really visually stunning or beautiful art, it's a canvas for them to do that. To do that. People make 30, 40 foot high sculptures that are quite beautiful. Or I saw one really cool exhibit where they did, they showed the curvature of the earth. They made this two mile long string of LEDs and they showed the curvature of the earth over the course of those LEDs. So the lights would progressively dip if you could see it over a long enough, a long enough distance. It didn't dip much, but that you can't just make you can't just make that art out there in the world. So that's a form of radical self-expression that I would consider creative or even benign. Some people like to play with fire, like, you know, fire dancers. Some people like to build art cars. Like there's, there's a benign creative component to it. But on the flip side of radical self-expression is the idea that you can throw off moral laws as well. Now, I'm not talking about murder or anything like that primarily, yeah, don't say that around flat earthers. Well, I think about that from time to time. Um, what kind of bands perform? Well, no, I'll get to, I'll get to the bands question in a second. Um, so there's, there, there is a form of benign or even, I guess, in some sense, positive self-expression, which is like things, things that you can say that are, that are uh, beautiful or inspiring or uplifting that you can't say in another place. There is that component to it as there would naturally be. There, out of 80,000 people, you are going to get some people 
that have their, their hearts aligned in a more positive direction. Not too many Christians doing it, but their hearts aligned in a positive direction. But when you allow people to do that, what you also, uh, is, a, is, is, it, is it also possible that you'll get people that will throw off the moral constraints of society as well? And yes, you do. Now, when I say moral constraints, again, I don't mean murder or theft or anything like that. When people in the New Age, pagan, secular world talk about morality, moral constraints, they're only talking about sexuality. That is the one place within their very beings that grates on them that God tells us what we can and can't do with our bodies sexually, who we can sleep with, how many people we can sleep with and when, etc. And so what you end up getting is there's a large appeal of Burning Man that's driven intensely by hypersexuality right? Intensely by things like the orgy dome or people painting their bodies and walking around naked or nudity or whatever. Like there's a, there's a lot of that. And I think that's a large attraction. The draw of Burning Man is that everything is really saturated with this sort of like sexuality that I think is a very powerful draw. And that's the ultimate appeal of radical self-expression because you get, and uh, sorry, the last thing they'll say is drug use. And the, the drug use is probably the thing that Burning Man has has both condoned and fought the most against, but not in the ways that you might expect. Um, because Nevada, the state of Nevada, where they host the event, um, has a problem with this radical society selling and consuming illegal drugs in a otherwise federal territory. And so uh, Burning Man has really pushed back against, you know, drugs are okay here, while at the same time being like, well, yeah, of course drugs are okay here, but just don't be stupid about it and get arrested. Right. So, so what are the, what is the appeal of Burning Man? Radical self-expression, whatever that means to you, right? Hypersexuality and drug abuse, drug use and drug abuse. So that, that is the appeal. That is the appeal of Burning Man. Now in that, in, in radical self-expression, you can get people doing objectively beautiful and nice things, things that give you a laugh, right? Like, uh, or, or ironic or whatever. Like you see that, but for the most part, you know the the appeal is is really getting high and uh, and looking at cool blinky stuff and uh, and you know picking up chicks or picking up guys. So that's that is the ultimate appeal of the festival. So um, no, it's not a it's not a music festival. Um, Bernie, yeah, someone asked do the bands that perform there. There are it's very difficult for bands like with guitars and instruments to perform there. Um, uh, it's it's not it's not really a rave either. Um, because he, it's better to think of Burning Man like a city. It's better to think of it not as a, a singular festival with a single folk point of focus. It's really more like a city that pops up and exists for like a week and then disappears. So there will be places, and the festival's massive. Like you can't, like it would take you all day to walk across it. So it's not really a festival, it's a city. So there are places you can go where there are actual raves happening. But then you can go to the absolute other side of the festival and find not that at all. So, um, so don't think of it like a music festival with stages that people visit conscientiously. You can go the whole weekend and not see a single musician. It's not like Coachella in that way. It's more like a city and they call it a festival, you know, because a city doesn't make any sense to people. So the bands that perform there, um, you know, it's very difficult for bands with instruments to perform there. Um, because their instruments get destroyed. <clears throat> so you get a lot of DJs performing. So you get a lot of electronic music bands that perform there. But it's the, it's not really the right way to think about it. 
um, <clears throat> as a as a music festival. It, it's much much more apt to think of it like a very strange, um, a very strange, very pagan, very fallen city that is simultaneously very low on violent crime um, and very high in. I guess I, I guess I want to say spiritual crime. I don't know if that's even a thing, but it's a thing now. So it's better to think of it. Um, it's it's better to think of it uh, that way. Um, I'm not sure. Let me go. Um, let me go through some more questions. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it, it organized by BlackRock. Yeah, BlackRock City is the name of the city. Um, do well-known bands perform there? Well-known DJs and electronic music acts perform there. But I wouldn't say that there are a whole lot of bands that perform there. Lots of lots of DJs come from around the world. In fact, one of the funniest aspects, funny is not really the right word, but one of the aspects of the flood that isn't talked about, that I don't think a lot of people know, is that they have these giant sound camp art cars. And so a sound camp art car is like it's a giant bus that they hollowed out. The the uh, the part where people sit still has an engine and they build this giant DJ booth with these massive speakers on it and they drive the bus around like a rolling rave, right? It just drives around the playa and people dance along with it as they follow with it. And there are camps that will spend upwards of a million dollars to build these cars. These cars are not designed for rain. And so when the rains happened, a lot of these cars, a lot of these camps, you know, you saw people stomping around in the mud but what you didn't see is a lot of people got their stuff absolutely destroyed. So the catastrophe of the festival is much larger than I think anyone um, anyone realizes. Um, and there is something to that. Yeah, it's just good-natured fun, right? Yeah, Angel of Light, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the vibe has changed a lot. Was it more hippie-ish in the beginning? It was actually it was actually not hippie-ish in the beginning. I mean, I wasn't there in the very beginning, but I was there in 2003, which is long before most of the people going now had even heard about it. And in 2003, it was more like Mad Max-ish, but benign. It was just like, okay, we're out here in the on the desert and let's set up some blow torches and some lasers and some big speakers and let's just have a crazy kind of creative party out here. So it was much more like Mad Max. We had a lot of the edgier tech people and the edge your tech book people were more like social outcasts, you know, than tech bros. Like tech bro is a new phenomenon. So the social, the really smart social outcasts would do cool stuff out in the desert. And it wasn't really, it wasn't really hippie-ish in the way that we understand it. That grew over time, you know, into like 2010, something like that. So it's definitely changed over the years. Have they always burned a chapel of Babel or was that introduced this year? So, um, so, uh, the mud wasn't that bad. Beautiful needs, needs to be light in the darkness of these places. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, what was I talking about? I forgot just for, uh, oh, sorry. Melissa Borealis, there, a fair amount of sexual assault there. Yes. I mean, that's, that's when you start introducing drugs and, and sexuality, you know, that's, you're going to get, a, you're going to get a lot of that. Um, there was a question that I had in my mind a second ago before I got distracted. Hold on just a second. Um, have they always burned a chapel of Babel? So I don't know if they've always burned a chapel of Babel. Um, uh, but, uh, but one of the aspects of the, of, uh, of Burning Man is they burn the man on Saturday night. That's the big, that's the big party night. And then on Sunday, they, they burn, um, uh, maybe they burn the chapel, but it's not necessarily of, of Babel. 
So the, the chapel, the temple, the temple is what it's called. So the temple is, is, um, is a place of grief where people who have lost friends, family members, loved ones, uh, who are going through transitions or been through difficult times, they bring their sacred objects, photographs or whatever to the temple, things that are treasured to them, postcards, stuff like that. And on Sunday night, the temple is burned. Um, with all the people's objects in it. And people will write messages on the side of the temple and, and, and stuff like that. Now, the, the, a, a very small percentage of people from the festival overall will stay at, the, at Burning Man long enough to see the temple burn. Um, and the burning of the temple is actually a very uh, griefful, I don't know that I want to call it sacred because that has Christian connotations that I wouldn't, that, that I don't, I would have used that language in the past, but it means things now that I don't intend it to mean but we'll go with it. It has, it has a very sacred, solemn, that's the word. It has a very solemn feel because you have this, first of all, most of the festival has left. Most people leave on Sundays. And then on Sunday night, they burn the temple. And when the temple goes up, it's a period of grief and mourning. And it's, it's a, it's a really a counterbalance that not enough, that I'm grateful that I experienced that not enough people experience is to sort of recognize the light and, and, and dark side of life. And I always felt, because I had that experience early on, I always had a deeper impression of the festival than I think a lot of people had. Um, but that happens every year. And I've only been there once, uh, but that happens every year. Now, a chapel of Babel, that sounds like a once, that sounds like a once ever art project. Like that doesn't sound like something that happens every year, but there's different stuff that happens every year. Like the man is there every year, but the same camps might not be there from, from year to year. Um, let's see. So someone said, I was at Burning Man this year and had a beautiful experience. There needs to be lights in the darkness at these places. The mud wasn't that bad. I, I mean, I, I wasn't there, but I, I, I took a look at, I took a look at some of the videos in the mud and that looked, that looked pretty bad. There were some pretty shocking videos, you know, coming out, coming out of the festival and Aubrey Marcus, you know, posted a video saying he hopes that higher natures will prevail. And that's new age hippie code words for like people's masks are coming off and everyone really needs to start behaving themselves. Like when someone says we're praying that higher natures will prevail, it's like, yeah, you've already seen, you've already seen some ugliness and you're, you're reaching out and trying to encourage people to like take it down a step is what that means. So again, I wasn't there, but from the videos I saw, the mud looked pretty bad. And, and realistically though, it's Burning Man. It's a dry lake bed any amount of mud will be really, really bad, right? Let alone three days of it and people stomping around and, and, and puddles and all the electronic equipment and cables and DJ gear and tents and RVs and cars, not to mention relationships and all that getting absolutely destroyed, absolutely destroyed. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I wanted to highlight is whatever the videos that everyone saw were of Burning Man festival attendees in their soggy gear, walking around in piles of mud in their boots. And it, it looks a lot like, um, what's that, what's that British music festival? Oh man, it's, it's escaping me right now. It's this massive British festival that gets rained out every year. Uh, it looks a lot like that. But what isn't obvious is that that mud, that dust, you can never get it out of anything. So if you take a tent or clothes, to Burning Man, the dust is so fine that it gets in the stuff forever. And you can always tell when someone has a shirt or a pair of pants or whatever that's been to Burning Man because it just exudes dust. Glastonbury, that's it. Glastonbury. 
So it just exudes dust forever. Like the dust gets in everywhere. And, and, uh, and that's why, um, that's why it's so expensive to rent RVs when you go to Burning Man. Because if you open the door and dust flies in, that RV has dust in it that has to spend hundreds of dollars cleaning. It's crazy. So that dust is very pervasive and it gets into everything. And, and to give you a sense of how pervasive the dust is, um, I was told the first year that I went that if I bring a tent, make sure that I lay a sheet down over my stuff inside the tent when I leave. So when you go out for the day, lay a sheet down over everything when you leave. And I was like, that's stupid. It's a, it's a, it's how bad can it be? Like it's dust. It's a tent. So I left the first day and I came back to my tent and everything was covered in a layer of dust. Everything was covered in white dust. The whole festival, everything I, everything I own was, co- was covered in dust. Why? Because the dust is so fine. It either blows through the mesh of the tent, which is pretty fine itself. Or it blows in through the, through the seams or it blows in through the zippers or, or whatever. So that dust gets everywhere. And, uh, I didn't see the videos of the tornadoes, but that's pretty wild. So, um, so the dust gets in everywhere. Now, what happens when dust that fine turns to mud? When dust that fine turns to mud, it turns into very sticky mud. And when you're driving around or walking around or trying to sleep in your tent or you have any mud on you at all, it follows you in. So everyone who went to the festival had all of their things destroyed. Destroyed. Their camping gear, likely destroyed. Their electronic equipment, likely destroyed. Like the RVs that they rented, the, the, the dirt and the mud, you know, cause it gets, it gets, you, you track the mud into the RV and then it, and then it dissolves, right? Or it dries out. And then you have this giant dust ball that just dissolves in the RV. So everything got destroyed, not to mention the high expense, the expensive electronics equipment. I mean, God only knows, uh, you know, the, the, the damage that was done. So I think having looked at the festival, like, yes, I think it was, um, I'm sorry, like, like, like our, like I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Yeah. There is a, there is a component of when you mock God like that, uh, you discover, um, you discover that God will not be mocked and uh, you're still in God's world and he has more creative ways, let's say, of, uh, of mocking you back than you have of mocking him. And so there's a, there's a component for me as I'm watching the totality of this festival, there's a component for me where it's like, I remember having been there and there's a feeling of immortality right? Um, because they don't have God. They're not even, they're not explicitly rejecting God. Many of them are, there is active witchcraft, there is active wickedness, you know, absolutely. And, and my friends who, um, my friends who baptized me, who did the ministry there for 15 years, told me some of the stories of the things that they'd encountered, people giving them gifts that had, had sorcery done to them, and they had to use real discernment and the darkness that they experienced and, and all this stuff. So there is there is that there, but these people don't have God and they mock God's creative order as if they're above it, as if the worst thing that could happen is a dust storm, or as if, as if the worst thing that could happen is like five or 10 degrees more heat. So what happens instead is that God sends a rainstorm that destroys everything and, excuse me, illness, chaos, madness, Results. And here's, here's the part about it is that 
this could happen again at any time. Like the good, uh, I think that there's a significant portion of people, um, lots of actually being just there's your own world. So I'll answer that in a second. Um, and Paler Vicky. So, um, there's, there's, there's going to be some component of people that may never go back because they recognize that, um, that those rains can happen again at any time. And there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing at all you can do about it. And so the, for me, the, I guess you'd say the funny part, if you want to call it that, the funny part is that, um, that threat from the skies is ever present, is ever present. That at any moment, that, that there will be people who go back to the festival and see every rain cloud, every dark cloud on the horizon and starts, starts to get a little weird. And then, uh, and then the big rainbow being like, what's up y'all. So that's one of the aspects for me that, that I find, um, that I find shocking on some level, but like not shocking, like I'm scared of it, but like, wow, like God's, God's vengeance is legit. Right. Um, so let's see thoughts on being a godly person and simply being there just as you are in the world as usual. That wouldn't really work. Um, now, because you would find, I mean, there's nothing technically stopping you. You could wear your everyday clothes and walk around um, and just be normal. You can, you don't have to put on steampunk um, as people manipulating the weather these days. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. You know, you can put on, you know, your regular clothes and, and walk around and LL Bean or whatever outdoor gear and you don't, you don't need to get all dressed up, but you would start to feel very much like an alien very quickly because there is witchcraft, sorcery, intention setting, witchcraft, sorcery, if you want to say in a negative sense, um, there is that. But there's also very strong intention setting for the space that sits on the festival in some places more than others. And so if you've ever walked into a church um, or a really sacred place to somebody and you've just walked into a room or the space and you just feel like things are different here and I can't say why. Nothing, there's nothing objective about it. You just feel it. There is a lot of that at Burning Man. There's a ton of it. And so around the man in particular, there is real witchcraft and sorcery that's been done and you can feel it. And I remember even before I would have used that language, I could feel it. Um, and, and in the festival itself, you're walking into ground that has been sacralized. I don't, I don't know if that's the word. I can't think of the word right now, but it's been dedicated to something. Let's put it that way. And so you, you would walk around in your clothing just trying to be who you are, but you would feel very radically out of place and very uncomfortable. And you would be made to feel uncomfortable by the people around um, simply by looking so different from everybody. So yeah, there's nothing stopping you from putting on your everyday, you're putting on your everyday clothes and, and being there at all uh, and being a godly person. But you would, you would be, you would feel the overwhelming energetic pressure on you and you would feel it and uh, uh god was walking with you i mean i i can't say i don't know you i don't i don't know you so um but uh you can i would say that 
the, the environment there would uh, very much um, disincentivize you from that and make that very difficult. Um, there is darkness, but the light is stronger. I mean, you're, you're not going to run into a situation. Look, I, I get it. I get it. And I don't know you. And so like, I didn't see, I didn't see you there. Um, but I mean, the friend, the friends of mine who baptized me. See, now you're just being salty. So the friends of mine who baptized me, they had a camp of, I want to say it's somewhere between 20 to 30 people. And, um, and in order to make sure that they were all spiritually protected as devout, believing, saved and redeemed Christians, they had to go through, they had to develop over 12 years to be able to develop very strict preparation and camp conduct protocols, right? This was a camp of very devout, believing Christians that were not very, that were not super open about their, about their, about their Christianity there. Right. And they had to go through such strict preparatory messages to make sure that they were spiritually clean, to make sure that there weren't any available hooks for witchcraft to get at them and to make sure that they could survive the energetic pressure. And, and they talk about this very openly, their protocols. And I've spoken with them about it. So can the individual believer go and just kind of float around at the festival? Yeah, maybe. Sure. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't consider that wise. And, uh, and I would say, um, I would say, um, I mean, yeah, maybe you led your camp in prayer. Maybe you did all those things, you know, but at at the same time, I I would, I would really, um, I would really question at minimum, I would question the wisdom of that. I would really question the wisdom of that. And, and I, I would also question, um, I would also question, um, the rigors, let's say, of your theology. Um, yeah, you have to use discernment and be called by God. And, um, and, and, you know, sure, you can use all that language. Um, but I would, I, I find myself really wondering, um, uh, you know, if, if, uh, well, I'll just leave it there. Um, you know, I'll just leave it there. Uh, I would say if you're going to evangelize to Burning Man, you have to go with a very significant amount of support, um, uh, you know, to really, um, because if, because if you're, I don't know, uh, if, if you're as sanctified, perhaps, um, well, if you're as sanctified, perhaps, um, you will be under very intense attack, very intense attack. So I, I don't think that, I, I don't think that, it, you know, Christian just walking around alone, you're going to be, you're going to be cool, especially because you're literally witnessing and walking around such intense darkness and fallenness that yeah, like, I'm just cool strutting around. Like, no, it should be, it should be grieving your heart very deeply. The magnitude of fallenness and the magnitude of sin and that, and that all the people there who are participating in this are likely going to burn in hell. Like, let that really sink in. So yeah, actually, I want to push back a little bit because if you're going to Burning Man and you believe what you say you believe, that every single person that you interact with is probably going to burn in eternal conscious torment forever. 
And if you really believe that, you would want to save every single soul there. So you should be evangelizing, handing out tracts, and all of this. You will be so confronted. God, no, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know you. But like, again, I really want to stress that the grief should be very intense to the point that you want to evangelize everyone there, everyone there. And the second that you start doing that, you make yourself open to attack. So why you're just strolling around solo as a Christian, right? When the people who I know who are Christians go, they go as part of evangelism camps, right? And in order to go as part of evangelism camps to really live out, you know, to really live out their faith, and like (laughs) to really live out their faith, they recognize that they have to go with support. So if you want to keep your mouth shut and walk around and just think it's cool to have a good time and party and the mud isn't so bad, um, sure, maybe. But I mean, again, I'm very, very skeptical. I'm very, very skeptical. I, I personally, I personally look at Burning Man now and I'm scared. I'm scared of going. You're, maybe you're confident in your faith. Maybe, you know, maybe you're confident in your faith, but um, at the same time, it's not a question of confidence and faith, right? When you're facing down the, uh, oh, great, okay. When you're facing down the real amount of spiritual darkness there, I think, you're, I think you're, your faith will be, um, would be a little different. Um, so let me talk about how I, how I found Christ. I didn't find Christ technically. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, right, God greater than burning man. Like, I get it. I get it, um, but skeptical. I'll just put it. I'll just put it like that. So I didn't find Christ at Burning Man. Christ found me um, as a result of again a camp of uh, a camp of twenty to thirty Christians that had worked for twelve years to build a successful underground ministry with extensive protocols and preparation in order to do their witnessing in secret. They didn't advertise. They didn't put. Um, they didn't put a big cross. Um, they didn't put a big cross up, right? They didn't, they weren't like telling people like, "Hey, we're Christians, come hang out." They were just there, inviting, created a space of such warmth and such invitation and such light that people were drawn to it. And in the environment where people were drawn to it, they were able to minister to them. And I was one of those people. Um, I was sent there. Like I ended up at Burning Man in 2015 because of. Um, because of a breakup it was very needed, very important transition in my life. I arrived at the, at the camp, um, on, I th- want to say it was Wednesday or maybe Tuesday. I woke up the next morning and someone directed me to the spirit dream camp and said that they did cool inner healing stuff. And so I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. And so I went to the camp and I spent, um, I spent three hours, um, at the camp at, at being healed by three wonderful, listen, it was just talking really by three wonderful Christians who I didn't find out they were Christians until, until the end. And um, I would refer you to my episode on cultish about that or my episode on the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Just look for my name, the Psychedelic Christian Podcast on, on Apple. I think it's only on Apple. And you'll find me telling that story, also my episode on cultish. So, so what this camp of believers had done is they felt a call to go minister at Burning Man. And they recognized, they showed up the first year not really knowing what to expect. And they recognized very quickly that if they wanted to be able to minister to people, they had to do things very, very carefully. And they had to do things in the right way. That it wasn't sufficient 
to be a believer showing up in your faith than to just walk around handing out gospel tracts. Because at worst, you know, at best they'll be thrown out. And at worst, you'll find yourself under, under spiritual attack. So they, in order to prepare for the festival every year to properly witness to people, made sure that they went through extensive preparations, vetting, and all the stuff, you know, uh, working out all their issues with each other because they were essentially going on an expedition into foreign territory in order to conduct this witness in the most appealing way possible for the local population. So again, what they didn't do is they didn't set up like a church and a chapel and a cross and do services on Sunday morning. What they did do was they set up their tent they had it decorated with very, um, with pastel kind of colored paintings, you know, that were, you know, of, of a lion, you know, or a ram, like the, the animals of, uh, of Ezekiel, I think, you know, so there was, there was decorations there, but it wasn't clear exactly what it was. And they just committed, um, it was the nature, the nature of the cursed items. Uh, yeah. Um, they just committed themselves to, to love people and listen to people. And show them God's love in a way that they'd never been shown before. Because we're all made in God's image. We're all made with a hunger, a God-shaped hole in our hearts, like I was. And so I was desperately, and I would even use that word, desperately looking for God. And I was looking for God in all the wrong places, which continued after Burning Man. But still, because I had this God-shaped hole in my heart, and I, I kept searching, that naturally led me to them and to be able to have a, a long conversation with them where they listen to me and just pour out my heart and my soul to them and, and, and allow myself to be able to receive. I would not have walked into that camp if there was a big cross painted on the outside. I, I would not have done that. No one would have. They would have, and, and even doing what they did, they came under spiritual attack from their neighbors and, you know, witches and stuff coming in trying to curse them and all that stuff. But their intention for doing it was to shine as bright a light as possible to draw people in who were drawn by the light. And I was one of those people. So I, I, I want to make clear that I, I didn't find Christ. I wasn't even really looking for him. Like I was looking, I guess I could say I was looking for God as I, as I was and as I had been on a God-shaped hole that led me to a particular place. And like Christ showed up for me. And I didn't even realize it. I like this is this is something that I've only recently put together because um, it was also at that same Burning Man festival that I decided to travel the world, and I was also introduced to ayahuasca, right? And so Christ presented Himself to me in this in the vision that I had. But where I was at the time was I still thought that all religions were equal paths up the mountain. I, I believed that, that all religions were equal paths up the mountain, and I had just collected the last one. Christianity was the one that had evaded me, but I just collected, oh, cool, now I can put Christianity in my pocket, and I've got it with all the other world religions, right? That was how I thought about things, because how else would someone recognize to, like, actual, you know, vi a vision of Christ in a sense? Why was I not so impacted by it? Well, I mean, I, I, can, I can only attribute that to myself. Which is to say that um, I I didn't realize the magnitude of what I had experienced. I thought it was just uh, one more world religion, and it took me additional four years of travel, five years from that point. Now, literally, wow, oh man, 
sorry, I'm just I'm just putting the pieces together. I met them in this would have been late August, early September 2015, and I actually got baptized by, by them five years later. And that's actually that's actually uh three years I got baptized three years ago to the day, I think today. So um, it's kind of crazy that I'm doing this. (laughs) So thank you all for witnessing this crazy um, providential series of of events that I met my friends at Burning Man the last week of August, first week of September in 2015. They baptized me in 2020. And now here I am talking about it three years later in 2023. Um, It's pretty wild, actually. So no coincidences, right? So uh, I didn't find Christ. I wasn't looking for Christ. Um, uh, Christ came and found me. Um, and I want to be uh, really clear about that. Um, so because I wanted, I, I want to um, let everyone know what is also true about Burning Man is that I was one of them. Um, you know, I was, I never engaged in nudity or any of that, any of that stuff. That was never my interest, but I was as much a participant in many of these new age and and pagan practices as, as anyone, as anyone else. And, uh, I was very sincere and I was searching and I was sincerely wrong. Um, and I didn't do anything to deserve being pulled out of that as none of us do, as none of us have. Um, it was truly a, a gift of, of God's grace um, to come and find me and introduce himself to me, really, and then wait while I did four years of everything else until I could finally come home. And so um, and so I, I do want to say that um, that when talking about um, the, the people who are at Burning Man, like, yes, there are a lot of people that actively celebrate and promote real literal darkness. Yes, there are people that are profiteers, influencers like, like Peter Las Plantas, for those who are listening to that podcast. That's what that, the, the satire portion of that podcast was about is making fun of these people that use all the right language in the new age world that holds itself up as so much better than the Christian world is making fun of the people that use all this language. And that are actually just profiteers on the back end. So that's what that was about. So there are those people there, but there are also many, many people there that are very, um, that are very lost and don't know what to want and are very, um, and are very sincere. And so, um, I'm grateful to get to, to get to talk about this aspect of it because, um, there are lots of people right now who are going new age to Christ. And in fact, I think there are probably more than a few people who are listening on this on this podcast right now or listening on this IG live right now and uh who can testify to the deep um who could testify to the deep um things that they've explored um and the deep darkness that they were uh lost in and um to recognize that we don't actually know who 
at the festival might actually, you know, be found by Christ, be called by God. Um, and so I think the festival's over now. I think people have left. I think it dried out and people were able to depart. I haven't heard anything about it today. But um, I just, I wanted to do this live for a bunch of different reasons. One, because I enjoy being able to communicate to people about the things that, um, about the things that I've experienced that they never will. I enjoy talking about uh, the new age world that I was in and being able to explain it to people because in many ways it surrounds us. Um, and having, I can explain it having walked through it to the best of my, to the best of my abilities. And so suddenly over the past week, five days, the world has been saturated with conversation about Burning Man. Even I was even on a plane yesterday morning, which was, uh, let's say it's Wednesday. So Tuesday morning and on the plane ride next to me, the guy sitting there, older man, probably in his sixties was reading the Wall Street Journal. And the cover story, um, the cover story of the Wall Street Journal was about, was about Burning Man on the Wall Street Journal. And so suddenly the new age world, the new age pagan world, um, uh, Eastern mysticism and all of that has rocketed to the center of Amer the American public awareness. Like when, when Burning Man is on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, like that's a thing. The Wall Street Journal, like, the thing about who reads the Wall Street Journal, think about the uh, captains of industry and the finance titans and the bros and all that stuff who would never be exposed to any of those ideas and suddenly they know what Burning Man is. So now it's at the center of American consciousness, which is a good sign that there's going to be a lot more of this happening along with Aubrey Marcus, along with you know Joe Rogan, along with all the celebrities doing ayahuasca. Like We're seeing a very rapid new ageization, paganization of American culture with the Burning Man being the most recent example. So um, having been in that world and spent so much time in that world, um, I feel like it's my responsibility, perhaps even there's a sort of calling to be able to explain to people what it is that they're seeing, what it is that they're hearing that they might not understand, that might not make sense. What is this thing that's going on out there? Why am I hearing about it? What is what goes on out there, right? What is the appeal? All these are very valid questions, and so one of the reasons I wanted to do this Instagram live was to be able to answer some of those some of those questions. And I guess what it turned into is also a little bit of me getting a, a look in the mirror at my own testimony as well. So we've just got a few minutes left, I think, before um, before Instagram will will close us off. Um, Holistic Manhood says New Ageism is Satanism in disguise and fake enlightenment with psychedelics. Um, and yes, I, I want to comment. Um, I want to comment on that. Um, Spencer Smith, who was on my podcast and, um, thanks. Uh, thanks, Humberto. It's good to see you. Um, Spencer Smith, who was on my podcast, does the third Adam series of documentaries and they're excellent. They're excellent. He just had third Adam four just came out. I actually need to finish watching it. So, um, he talks about there are two reasons that people, and he's right, there are two reasons that people participate in the new age, enlightenment and betterment. Now, um, enlightenment is secret knowledge, secret esoteric knowledge that leads to the, an understanding of the true nature of reality, true nature of reality. So that's enlightenment. Betterment is, I would like a, a 
experience, a subjective experience of, um, <laughs> thank you, Melissa. People say that my voice is soothing to listen to. And that's, that's awesome to, <laughs> to hear that. So a betterment is I would like a subjective experience of improvement of my, uh, outer and inner state of well-being. So enlightenment is secret knowledge leading to tr- the tr- truth about the nature of reality and a, a better and a, and a uh, and betterment is an improvement of my external and internal psychological, emotional circumstances. Um, so the thing is, in life, enlightenment is fake. Um, you've never met an enlightened person. Mytholo- enlightened people are mythological in, in the New Age world. Stories about people that have attained enlightenment, that have realized oneness and, and maintained that oneness as a perfect state. And that, or, um, or, and this is what the matrix is about, is that once you realize the true nature of all things, then you can manipulate physical reality. That is, that's what happens with Neo. Neo is fundamentally a Gnostic, a cultic figure in that he attains enlightenment by accident and, uh, and ultimately becomes the master of, of reality and redeem, redeems reality. Like it's a messianic story mixed up with an occultic new age kind of thing. So, um, so enlightenment is fake because you've never met an enlightened person and anyone who pretends to be enlightenment, enlightened, particularly in India, you get a lot of gurus and sadhus who pretend to be enlightened. And then they come to the United States, like Paramahansa Yogananda is a great example. Um, Tung, Trungpa Rinpoche, Trungpa Rinpoche was an alleged Tibetan Buddhist master and he opened up a stool, a school in, uh, in Colorado, I believe and got into drugs and alcohol and fornication and absolutely like demolished his entire, his entire le- legacy. Paramahansa Yogananda died essentially of type two diabetes, which is very difficult to do in India, at least for the time when he was there. Like there's a photo of him dining next to Gandhi. And so here's Paramahansa Yogananda, like wearing a big thing to cover his belly. And here's like Gandhi being all emaciated because he's starving. It's a, it's, it's a pretty funny image. Um, so, so you've never actually met an enlightened person. Gandhi himself wasn't enlightened. He's, he's more complicated than people in America recognize because when I was in India, I went to not only his ashram, um, but also his office in Mumbai and also the, the museum where at the location where he was killed. And so there's a lot, um, there's a lot to Gandhi. He did have a lot of really uh, insightful things to say about Indian society that a lot of new age hippies would probably find really offensive actually. Um, so anyway, so there's enlightenment, it's fake. And, but then betterment is an improved sense of internal well-being, which comes from, in part, the healing of, of trauma. Yes, there is, a, there is a lot of that, and that was a lot of my interest. But the thing is, the amount of time, money, and energy that I poured in to my own personal betterment in order to create this much change, which I successfully did, has been absolutely dwarfed in comparison to my subjective experience of increased well-being that has come as a result of sanctification and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't even, doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare. And I recognize now that I was chasing false enlightenment, false knowledge of God, false knowledge of myself as God rather than the truth of God embodied in this book. And in, in, uh, in pursuing that truth of God or being pursued by that truth of God, the truth that's in this book and allowing myself to be sanctified and regenerated by it, I have experienced such a marked increase of my subjective feelings of well-being. 
So this is why I want to close and say, I know for a fact that everything that everyone at Burning Man is looking for is found in Christianity and is found in Christ. Absolutely 100,000%. Everything that I was always looking for, everything that I was always seeking, I found in him. And so um, I encourage everyone to pray for the people there. I encourage everyone um, to consider their own testimony for how to reach out to somebody who uh, who they see in this world. You don't have to go to Burning Man. don't recommend you do. But you may know somebody who's into the New Age and to learn how to minister to them and do, an, do apologetics with them and let them know that what they're really seeking for, enlightenment and betterment, is found in Christ. And um, I think the last, the last thing I would encourage everybody with is just to be very mindful of the approach of the New Age and of paganism and of Eastern mysticism in your churches, in your everyday environment, and in culture generally. Because, well, it's, all, it's good to have a laugh um, at some of the things that have gone on at Burning Man and celebrate God's majesty and sovereignty and how God will not be mocked. One thing that has happened is Burning Man has now been inserted into the center of American consciousness in a way that it wasn't before. So we all have to be very aware as that continued paganization goes on um, and know how to push back and fight against it. So thank you all for joining. Praise God. Hallelujah. May God bless you all. And thank you for joining me for this Instagram Live. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.